Good morning, Midland Free. Good morning. That was good stuff, was it not? I enjoyed it. I don't know where if you guys were here or not, but that was fun. Um, I have a really good seat. Sometimes I go right back there behind the drums, and it is awesome. But let's uh, pray as we can get ready to worship God this morning. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness and grace, and Lord, your mercy is truly more. What a blessing to sing out joyfully, Lord, to you this morning, acknowledging the cross and everything that you commanded Christ to do, and he obeyed and followed through, and we praise you for that. We know that this life is uncertain, we know that there is great mystery, and yet we know that you are behind it, and so we pray that you would help us to trust you today. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Welcome here. My name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. Super glad you're joining us to worship today. Whether you're joining us in person or online, we are so thankful uh, that you're here. We're continuing our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll be doing this through the end of the year. We've brought out some of the major themes. Those are represented in the graphic that you see at the back of the church on our website, newsletter, app, wherever else. But today we're looking at chapter 8. Chapter 8, the 8th chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. And in particular, we will discover this theme that has run throughout the book, but it shows up in different ways today as we explore various types of wisdom. And the theme for today's message, kiddos, if you're writing down stuff in one of these things, if you have a Creative Kids worship folder, the theme for today is to enjoy the adventure, to enjoy the adventure. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. It says this, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? Man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps the command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything. Remember a time, a season. Although a man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be. For who can tell how will it be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Verse 10, and then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Romans 3.23 Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God. Because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Now in verse 14, the final section, there is a vanity that takes place on earth and that 
there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said this also is vanity and I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep. Then I saw all the work of God. Three different times, three different ways, he says, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much a man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. So three different sections here. And what I'm going to do is actually start with the end and then go back to the beginning because I believe it's going to help us understand better the content if we know the conclusion. And the end is in verses 14 through 17, uh, which I will summarize as saying, enjoy the adventure, enjoy the adventure. Here's a little story from you, for you from back in the day. Um, when I was in seminary, which was about 20 years ago, um, I was a new guy in town in campus in Dallas. And uh, several of my hallmates on a Sunday morning are kind of gathered around and were asking themselves the question, you know, hey, there's a young seminary guys. Where do you, you want to go to church? And they're like, I don't know. It's Dallas. It's a big city. It's a big area, right? There's all kinds of churches. I mean, if you want to find a unique church in Dallas, you can. You can find just about anything. If you want the ultimate rock and roll church, you can go to it in Dallas. If you want the ultra conservative, extremely liturgical, you can find it in Dallas. If you want a church that speaks Hindi or Spanish, or Tamil, or just about anything else. You can find it in Dallas, anything in between. I mean, there's contemporary, there's conservative, there's urban, there's suburban. I mean, all kinds of stuff. So we thought it'd be interesting, of course, to tour a few different churches and just get the flavor of different theologies of church and how people do things. And we looked on this list of potential churches and One of them was the church of this very famous professor. And when I say famous, I mean famous. Like, he's the guy. Like, if you want to know about the historical Jesus from a conservative, orthodox, biblical perspective, this is the person you would call. Literally, Larry King invites him on the Larry King show to say, tell us about the Da Vinci Code, or tell us about this or that. How does that met? mesh with history this is the guy he was a president of the evangelical theological seminary or uh sorry society society this big society of eggheads and he was editor of christianity today like it's a big name so we're like yeah let's go to the church he goes this is gonna be really cool and sure enough we go to his church and at his church, he's not the pastor. He's just a regular person. And we walk into a Sunday school where this guy is teaching. And we're like, wow. You know, it's not a big deal to you. But to these seminary geeks, it was amazing. <laughs> we're sitting within like arm's length. We could touch his robe. It would be incredible. What jewels of wisdom will fall. Who knows? And I do remember 
something from that session. It was this. At the very beginning, and this is 20 years ago, mind you, so there's no like Bluetooth or airplay or casting or anything cool like that. He's trying to hook up his computer and something is not working. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not clicking. And his daughter, who's home from college, is on the front row and she's kind of snickering in her sort of daughter, college girl, smarty pants sort of way. No offense. She's like, should have tested it, dad. And he's like, hey, if I did, then I would miss the adventure of the classroom. I was like, oh, touche. And that's all I remember from his Sunday school lesson. <laughs> that's all I got. But what great wisdom and advice, because the reality is, how could you survive in a classroom setting for so long? There's so much variety. There's so many different things that happen, but to consider it. An adventure. You don't know who will be in your class one day to the next. And he's taught in so many different places. And this was just one more. It was a Sunday school. And he taught at much higher levels. Like with uber smart whoever's in the room. And so basically he was so competent. That he could walk into that room. Probably half asleep. Blindfolded. Stumbling in. And still do an amazing job. As a result. He's able to enjoy the adventure. What I come away from it with that, that lesson that I pick up on then is this. Here's how it works in our psychology and our human makeup is that competence. This is another good one to write down if you're writing stuff down. Competence leads to confidence, which leads to trust. Competence leads to confidence which leads to trust. Saying it another way, in my setting right here today, you know, there's screens and there's lights and there's a mic and there's stuff like that. I'm not really interested in the adventure. Like, I want to come out here and turn it on and know that it's going to work. And if all of a sudden it breaks or goes bad, you would think that maybe, just maybe, I'll start sweating bullets. But realistically, I probably won't. Do you know why? Because our team exhibits excellent competence. I know that there is a backup to the backup. Like, right? Well, yeah, right there is another mic. And there's two or three backstage. And they're just sitting there waiting for the batteries to die or whatever else. And I got no issue. And so I can stand here completely fear-free and exegete and expound and communicate the word of God knowing that these guys got my back. Yeah, amen. You see, competence leads to confidence, which leads to trust. Competence leads to confidence, which leads to trust. So I can trust them. Well, guess what? Ladies and gentlemen, we live in the classroom of life. We are all learners, and there will certainly be variety and mystery and spontaneity and change and glitches along the way. And when these hiccups come, however big or however small, we need to be ready. And the author of Ecclesiastes, what he's going to say is, look, sometimes there's just no explanation. 
You can't figure it out. Verse 17 of chapter 8, it says it like this. Like I said, three times, three different ways. I think we should get the point here. The work of God, this crazy thing that God is doing as finite, limited human beings, we don't always understand. When we see the work of God, we realize that man cannot find it out. However much we may toil in seeking the answers, we can't figure it out. Even though a wise man like this professor might claim to know, he cannot find it out. With all this mystery and all this uncertainty, then how in the world can we enjoy the adventure? How can that happen? Do you believe in a competent God? Do you believe that he's got your back? Do you really believe in an all-knowing, all-powerful, completely loving, trustworthy, and faithful God? Because if you do, if that's the God you serve, then based on his competence, we have confidence And as a result, we can trust him. You see, competence leads to confidence, which leads to trust. If God is really all-powerful, if he is really all-knowing, if he is who he says he is and the Bible expounds him to be, then we can trust him. It's not about coming up with some extra internal strength to force us to do something that doesn't make any sense. No, this completely makes sense. Because of who he is and who he says he is, then his character is an anchor for our soul. And we can hook down into him and say, I believe. I believe you, Lord, because you're good. Man cannot figure it out. But the Alpha and the Omega can He's been there. He's done that. He already knows the beginning from the end. There's no surprises in between. It may seem mysterious to us. may not make any sense. But he has our back. That is why as we look through this book over and over again, the author is going to say to us, Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 15, I commend joy. I commend joy. Why? Why? Because we can walk into that classroom and know that regardless of what happens, God's got our back. You can walk in with confidence because of his competence and trust him. And you just look at these situations that don't make any sense whatsoever to us and say, God, I believe you. I believe. And so we've talked about it in so many ways, but let me just remind you, this is the way that this author says it in different ways. He'll say, hey, run your race. Embrace your race. God has set the path before you. He's designed this course. He's laid it out. You need to pursue it with joy and enthusiasm and faith. Accept the portion he gives you. Remember the pie analogy. Accept this spot that God has put you in. And let me be honest right here. This is hard for me. I experienced this yesterday. Yesterday. You guys have probably heard me complain about the same thing before. <laughs> but yesterday, so what happened is in my son's bathroom, there's a towel hook. 
And, you know, they just do not make those things very well. Right? I'm just saying. So the bracket broke. And I thought, I'll go to the store. I'll find another hook. Snag the bracket. Put it on there. And I'm good. Well, none of them fit. They're all fancy new designs. Whatever else. Okay, I'll get another one. And it uses wall anchors. That is bad news for me. <laughs> that is bad news for me. Those just do not work well for this guy. I can put a screw in a stud, but wall anchors, eh. But I gave it my best, and as a result, all of a sudden, there was one little hole. I'm like, no problem. I can just cover this up. You see where this is going, don't you? I'm like, the thing's big enough. I'll just put a hole, and that hole collapsed into this other hole. Before long, my wall anchor needed like a boat anchor. And I'm not feeling too good. And I'm like, Lord, why did you make me this way? I hate this part about myself. Anybody and their brother should be able to fix this. It's not that hard. And yet when I try, I make it worse. That's what happens when I do those things. I make them worse. I try to fix it and I break it. And it's funny here and now, but I was not laughing yesterday. <laughs> Let me assure you, it was not fun. And it should have been a simple little project. Now, maybe you're good at doing wall anchors and praise the Lord for you. But I bet there was something in your life that you're like, this should have been a simple little thing. And, uh, ah. Look what I did. And now it's not. And what a mess I've made. And yet the Lord has designed you a certain way. And some things work for us and some things don't. And we can't always figure it out. Even the wisest can't. Why does one person get one portion, another another? I don't know. And yet God in his sovereign knowledge and the infinite mystery known but to him assigns it like this. And we have to say, God, I accept my portion. I receive what you've given to me. I believe that you know what you're doing, even though I don't. And with confidence, I can trust in you. Ecclesiastes says he commends joy. Enjoy the adventure. It's a classroom. Life is schooling me left and right. And perhaps it's schooling you too. But if you walk in there and you believe in the one who wrote the script, you can trust him. Number one, enjoy the adventure. That's really the main point. But here's some things that fall out of that. Um, that's the final section. So I gave you the conclusion. But if you go back to the beginning, verses 1 through 9, um, this is one way that wisdom teaches us how to enjoy the adventure. How to in verses 1 through 9. And let me give you a little context here so we don't rip this thing out of context or do the wrong thing with it. And what's happening, it's, it's picturing a servant in a royal court. So I know this is a bit different from our current you know, day and age. But if you can imagine... Where there is like an almighty, ultimate sovereign king. So literally, that king can do anything they want whatsoever. Make it a queen. I don't care. It can be anything. King or queen. But this person has ultimate sovereign authority. So if you walk into the room 
and you blink at them with the wrong eye, they can cut your head off. Because they're the king. Who cares? They can do whatever they want. And so the servant said, I didn't really like the way they looked at me. And off it goes. If you think I'm telling a joke, look, Jesus actually says this. In Luke 19, 27, he's telling a parable to get people's attention. But he assumes this context as well. It says, but for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Maybe put some tarps down on my royal marble so you don't mess it up. But I want to see it. Bring them in and slaughter them. Oh, that is different. This is what happened to John the Baptist, remember? And this is why it was hard for Esther to go before the king. Because <laughs> she knows if she makes one wrong step, that's it for her. And so in this context, the author is advising this servant, look, we understand you work in a difficult spot. Now, now, realistically, I'm hoping there's no one out here today that would get their head cut off for making a wrong move. But how many of you have ever felt like you might? Make the wrong move and you're done. Over for you, son. That was a mistake. How do we live and enjoy the adventure in that setting? That's crazy. There's a king there. But there's a king above And you got to look not to that king, but to the higher king. And as you go into that, you understand that you serve this one, but ultimately you serve that one. And you think about how you can serve that one by serving this one well. And what he advises then is when you go in, be smart about it. It's true that you serve God and he's more powerful than that king. But don't be an idiot. Be smart. There is a time and a way for everything. That's what Esther does. She figures out the right way to approach this powerful, powerful king. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says this. The wise in heart will know the proper time. There's a time and the just way. For there is a time and a way of everything. Although our troubles lay heavy upon us. There is a right way. There is a right time. And be careful when you do anything to choose the right one. This applies in so many ways. This applies at work, how you approach your coworkers. This applies in your marriage, how you approach your spouse. There's a right time, there's a right way. This applies with your parenting. Hey, but wait, I'm the parent. Can't I just put my foot down and say, no, (laughs) there might be a better way. And many times I've put my foot down and put it right back in my own mouth. Because I didn't pick the right time in the right way. There is a right time and a right way for everything. Be smart about it. Use tact. Well, how do we do that? Well, here's some people think that Solomon wrote this book. He may or may not have. I don't know. But Solomon was one wise person indeed. And interestingly enough, God gave him that gift early in his life. And those of us who have been in church before, if you haven't, 
welcome here. We're glad you're with us. But those who have been in church have probably heard the story. God said to Solomon, I'll give you anything you want. Anything. What would you have? And what did Solomon ask for? Oh, did he? Actually, if you look up, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, he asked for a lev shema. He asked for a lev shema. Now, that's a Hebrew term, and I gave you like dozens of ways that different Bibles translate that in the life group questions. So if you want to look up all the different translations, download the life group questions, and you'll see that in a footnote. But here's the point. Did he ask for wisdom? Well, yes, and no, and kind of, and depends on which text you read. But what he's ultimately asking for, Shema, is to what? We've talked about this before. What is Shema? To listen. And a lave is the heart. So he asked for a listening heart. What did Solomon ask for? A listening heart. What is wisdom? A listening heart. You see, a heart that doesn't listen is unwise. And if there's a time and a place for everything, then when you go into that situation, you better make sure your heart is ready to listen. Because if your heart is not in a listening space, it is not the right time or the right way. Wisdom teaches us to listen because we understand there are things that we don't know. Others know better than us. They know more. I know what I know, but I don't know what you know until you tell me. And so I have to listen. Wisdom is a lay shema. It is a listening heart. And that is the idea here. You know, if, you, if this person walks into the king's throne room and they see the king, it's like, <laughs> what does that tell them? <laughs> Probably not the right time. You might want to listen. Pay attention to that. Because you blurred in with your thing at that point because you don't want to wait till tomorrow. You're probably in trouble. But if you turn around and walk out and come back the next day, maybe you'll have better luck. Listen. Pay attention. There's a right time and a right way for everything under the sun. Earlier, you had that beautiful passage, you know, time for war, time for peace, time for life, time for death, time for this, time for that. Here's that applied and fleshed out. Here is that poem. It's saying there is a time. There is a way. But make sure you listen and pay attention. And be sure that the one you're taking is the right one. Listen. So number one. Enjoy the adventure. Number two. How? Well. Be smart about it. Use tact. Listen. Go into a situation. Understanding that there is more there than meets the eyes. And be ready to figure that out. Listen, use tact. Number three, number three, how to enjoy the adventure. And ultimately, trust that God will make it right. Trust that God will make it right. Well, how can you say that, Pastor Jeremy? Well, this is verses 10 through 13. And let me just start here with the gospel. And really, that's where it kind of starts and ends, the good news of Jesus. But the funny thing is, is the way we present the the good news of Jesus, I think it's kind of truncated. Like it's like fire insurance and forgiveness and we're good. 
But when Jesus comes and he says, repent, he also says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is at hand because there's a king. And what that means is that king will reign victorious and remake and create all things. And when he does, then there will be true peace and there will be shalom and eternal life everlasting forevermore. And that's how that big picture then fits in with John 3.16. And we teach our kids John 3.16 because we want them to learn. We want them to learn that, for, let's say it together, ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Yes, amen. We want that. We want you to believe in Jesus. And so often we start there, but we shouldn't stop there. Because we tell people, believe in Jesus and you get eternal life. Woo! And they believe in Jesus, and all of a sudden life is not exactly feeling very eternal. I thought you told me I wouldn't have to go to hell. I'm not so sure. Because this kind of feels like that. But I believe in Jesus. What gives? We need to teach him confidence in God. And this is what the author of Ecclesiastes has in verse 12. He says this. Yes, there is the assurance of eternal life. Yes, there is the future salvation. Yes, there is the new heavens and the new earth where it's all going to be wonderful. But right now, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life. Though they get away with it every single stinking day. Every time I look, the bad guys win and the good guys lose. And though that happens over and over and over again, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God. This, I think, is the verse we should teach our children. Though the sinner gets away with it a hundred times, yet it will be well with those who fear God. Do you have confidence in God? Do you think he's competent to carry out justice? Do you think he assigned to you your portion on purpose? And he can assure you of eternal life in the end. If that is the case, even when they get away with it over and over again, yet we will trust him. Ecclesiastes teaches us to believe in a sovereign God, to accept our portion to embrace it and trust him for the outcome. Embrace your race. Justice is anchored in God's immutable and faithful character. And our faith is based on his competence, which gives us confidence to trust in him and enjoy the adventure. Father, we thank you and praise you for today. We thank you for your perfect sovereignty, the good news of Jesus, and your love.
Lord, help me to trust in you. Many times I want to reject my portion, not accept my lot, wonder why somebody got something I didn't, experience the frustration of daily life. I pray, Lord, that even in this broken and fallen world, you would help me to enjoy the adventure, to embrace my race, believe what you have, and trust in you. Lord, we praise you and thank you for that. In your name, amen.